So if you walk down this one particular lane in the city of Calcutta, you'll see this really remarkable site. It's a very narrow lane. It's not wide enough to drive a car through. So people have motorcycles and scooters. Um, There's laundry strung all the way up and down, you know, so you're sort of walking through and there's clothes flapping above your head. This past summer, Annie Gowan was in Kolkata in eastern India to report on how climate change is already impacting this huge, densely packed city. And we spent a time in a neighborhood called Kasiabagan, which is a very low-income neighborhood with no running water in some homes. And Annie says that as you walk through this neighborhood of about 7,000 people, you will see an extraordinary contrast. There's these sort of boxy concrete apartment buildings on either side, very close together, you know, with these rooms where many people live in one room. You turn left, and there's a cow who lives in one of the side lanes under a tarpaulin. And then you cross a very busy street, and then the mall is right there in front of you, and it sort of towers up um, several flights. So when you're walking these very narrow lanes of the of the slum area, you know, you can see this, the blue glass facade of the mall, you know, sort of soaring in the sky above all this. In the middle of this poor working class neighborhood, there is a big glass shopping mall called the Quest Mall. It's the fanciest mall in Kolkata. It has a Rolex store where you can get a watch for $91,000. It has a Gucci. It has Burberry. It has all the upscale brands. Any, any upscale brand that you would want is there. The Quest Mall is lit up with fluorescent lights day and night. Inside, it's always air-conditioned to a crisp 60 degrees Fahrenheit. This is in a city that regularly experiences temperatures over 110 degrees. And in recent years, Calcutta's average temperature has risen more than any other cities on Earth. That's according to a UN panel. The city has few parks or trees for shade, no cooling centers, and no climate action plan for protecting its most vulnerable citizens. Being able to afford a generator or an air conditioner in Calcutta is often a matter of life or death. That much became clear one day this past April. The city was in the midst of a major heat wave when the power went out. But as the people of Kasia Bagan struggled to fight off the heat, towering above them was the Quest Mall. Its glass windows were still lit up bright, and its air conditioner was still humming. And after three days with no power, the neighborhood had had enough. And people were so angry that they began to gather in the this very narrow lane near the mall. And people were saying, you know, we're dying. You know, our people are dying. Something needs to be done. And so that's when they decided to march to the mall. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Friday, October 13th. I'm Abba Patrai, your guest host. Today, my colleague Jeff Edgers talks to Annie Gowan about the story of a community driven to the brink by extreme temperatures and about what the future looks like for megacities facing the threat of climate change. So before we get to the march in the Quest Mall, you spent some time in this neighborhood in Kolkata, and you met some of the people who live there, right? 
Yeah, my colleague Anant Gupta and I spent some time with this woman who lives in the neighborhood named Sana Mumtaz. And she's a single mother of of three kids, and she lives in a in a very small room with nine other of family members, and. She basically showed us how difficult it was for them living in this small room without AC, with just a fan and no windows, and how hot it would be. And most of them, because the room was so small, most of the family sleeps on the floor. You know, there's not even a door of her, on her home. It's just a, basically a, a, you know, a flowered curtain type thing. And it's very, very it's almost unbearable at night. And one of the things that I thought was really poignant was she and other women in the neighborhood get their fresh water from taps that only work twice a day. So they basically go to the end of the lane twice a day and, you know, take all these bottles and pots and, you know, reused water bottles and fill them up with this fresh water so they have water for washing and drinking. Sana's prized possession is her refrigerator, which she keeps running at all times, and she keeps stocked with fresh water and cool water so that anyone who comes by that they know from the neighborhood, she can give them a a nice cold glass of water. And and does Sana have any connection to this Quest shopping mall that gets built up the street? Sana told us, you know, her brother actually works at the mall, but she told us that, you know, for her, she, she was only able to go maybe once a year, and it was a huge event, even though the mall, you know, is just at the end of the block, and she would get dressed up in her best sari, and, you know, they would save their pennies so they could get, like, one snack at the food court. And so it was a big deal. So tell us about Kolkata in general. Why is this a place where climate changes could have such an impact? So Kolkata is a megacity in eastern India, and there's about 4.5 million people who live in the city itself and about 15 million in the surrounding areas. And about a third of all those people live in what what are considered to be slum-like conditions with very little amenities, no running water, um, no bathrooms, etc., and so people that are living so tightly packed in in these slum areas like Khasia Bagan are among the most vulnerable people in the world to this climate disaster that's unfolding. You know, they have a threat of floods, of increasing cyclones and, and ever more intense heat waves. And our own analysis showed that, you know, their, their number of dangerously hot days is going to double um, in the next few decades here. So they're they're really at risk for climate impacts way more than, you know, many other cities around the world. So we we wanted to sort of find something that would kind of illustrate this issue of how difficult this lives are going to be for these folks who are living, in, you know, so closely packed together with no AC and no cooling centers and no parks. And so we had heard about this mini revolt in this little area, and we thought it would be a good way of kind of demonstrating just how desperate people are when these temperatures are soaring to record levels. So, okay, tell me what happens last April. You know, there was this huge 
heat wave that was sweeping eastern India and into Southeast Asia. Where a searing heat wave swept across India's northeast over the weekend. India faces a surging heat wave due to global warming. Most people here will have to do whatever they can to get through the long, hot days ahead. And in Kolkata itself, you know, the schools were closed, the buses were reducing schedules, there were news reports of people just fainting on the side of the road. It was a really, really dangerous heat wave. The temperatures were rising, the heat wave was continuing, and the electricity was overloaded. And so, it, you know, the, the system in the neighborhood was not able to cope with the demand uh, from, from their homes and others uh, during the middle of this devastating heat wave. So for three days, they did not have power. It was Ramadan. Many of them were fasting. It was extremely hot. And then on Sunday, the 16th of April, Sheikh Janu died. And Sheikh Janu was an elderly man who was a landlord to many in the community. He was a stroke victim. He, he had very little mobility. But he died that day, about 6.30 in the evening. Um, and he was the first person of four that would die of heat-related complications in this neighborhood just this summer. You know, their anger was rising and they were trying to figure out what to do. And then they decided as a group, well, we're going to go to the mall and protest. Because the mall is actually owned by a billionaire who also runs the electric company in Kolkata. Oh, that, that's true. This isn't The Simpsons. Right, right. I know, it's crazy. India's electrical grid is very complicated. But in this particular case, the electric company is not a public utility. It's owned by a billionaire businessman named Sanjeev Gwenka, who also owns a cricket team and a soccer team and uh, was the developer of this fancy mall. So I, I guess the most obvious thing to ask you is, in the midst of this, why does the mall have power when everybody in the neighborhood does not? Because they had their own power system with a backup generator. So they'd been without power for three days, and the mall itself was still lit up with its own power source. They were angry that the mall had power, and they didn't. They said, you know, let's go to the mall. Let's, a let's ask Mr. Guenka to turn back our, turn on our electricity. And they shouted at the, at the, you know, the glassy entrance. And eventually the security guards just sort of let them in. And they came in and they wandered around and <laughs> lay on the floor and some people curled up and went to sleep and some played games and they just sort of waited for the elders to negotiate with the mall security people and eventually the police and eventually the electric company officials to, uh, to fix the power situation. So did you get to talk to any of those people? I mean, the, the people who were actually in the group that went inside the mall? We interviewed uh, many, many of the protesters, but one of them was Ambie Qureshi, who's 25 and works in a butcher shop, his family's butcher shop. I mean, he just told us how sort of... Uh, 
how difficult it was, you know, during the three days that they were out of power, you know, how the women, he would come home from work and he'd be hot and the women and children were would be crying and they couldn't even get cold water in the neighborhood to cool themselves. He said that when they went into the mall, um, he felt so relaxed because he was finally in cool air. Another protester told us, you know, I, I felt I felt free. After the break, how Cassia Bagan changes in the wake of this protest. We'll be right back. I'm Hannah Rosen, host of Radio Atlantic. Wait, really? Every week, we talk to Atlantic writers or other creative thinkers, and we take one idea and we road test it. Maybe what I'm asking is, is the problem them or us? Sometimes I change my mind about things. That's such a good point. I never thought of that. Maybe you will, too. Or at least you might see something differently. Ooh, that's fabulous. Radio Atlantic. New episodes every Thursday. Annie, you've, you've told this this incredible story about how this poor neighborhood in India staged a protest at a fancy shopping mall during a power outage. I'm thinking about the billionaire, that billionaire mall owner. Did, did he have any response? The folks who own the mall, did they respond in any way? They did, actually. They were, um, you know, ultimately, they, you know, they got a generator back into the neighborhood with lightning speed. I mean, I think it, they had power by 4 a.m. that next morning. They did fix the problem, so they have had continuous power since then, and uh, they were really worried that the elders in the community were very worried that the men, and it was mostly men who went into the mall, would be then charged with trespassing. But they issued a formal apology letter, and they tried to explain why they did it. And uh, they haven't been charged thus far. And I feel like these people were almost polite protesters. They were. They were very polite, and that's one of the reasons why I don't think they've been charged and why the electric company in the mall— um, you know, the mall officials really have sort of supported them in the aftermath of it. They they did, it was just a sit-in, you know, like the old-fashioned sit-ins of the 60s. You know, they came in, they they asked to be let in, they were let in, they came in and they sat on the mar- this cool marble floor, you know, uh, by this, you know, splashing fountain and just cooled down for a while. And this is a slightly complicated sidebar, but the the neighborhood is predominantly, it's about 85% Muslim. And of course, in India is a Hindu majority country. And there's often a lot of tension between the two, uh, two groups. And so when this thing went viral, there was a lot of sort of pushback and, and um, memes that were went around that was sort of accusing this Muslim community of storming them all and, you know, breaking down the door and uh, all these false accusations that occurred. And so the mall actually went out and, um, you know, put a statement out eventually in support of the of the uh, protesters and said, you know, they didn't do that. It was a peaceful protest. And also in the wake of this, there have been a few other changes in the neighborhood as well. 
So there's a social worker that we spoke to named Javed Rahman. So Javed is the person who's been trying to make sure that the protesters were not charged criminally for trespassing. And then his other project over the last several weeks has been trying to get the lights turned on in the playground, which is at you know the center of Kasia Bagan. And the lights had been out for some time, and all they wanted was light so that the kids can play in the evenings when it's cooler. So after the protest and um, they, they sent a formal letter requesting these lights, uh, they, they, the city did get them turned back on, fixed and turned back on. And while we were there, uh, they had a cricket tournament to sort of celebrate um, these new lights that they got. They were celebrating, you know, this one small victory, you know, that the lights were going to be on in the evenings and now the kids could play in the cool of the evening rather than you know, just staying inside, cramped up in these homes. So it sounds like a small small victory, but systematic change is going to be hard to come by. Yeah, and we talked to Javed about this. He said, um, you know, the heat waves are going to keep coming. They will become more frequent. And he told us, you know, the next time you come here, we might have an AC in our office, but that's not the solution. What's the maintenance now? He basically said, yeah, I guess it was a victory, but we shouldn't even have to be asking for these things. It's, you know, electricity is a basic need now, not a luxury. Annie, tell me, uh, this is a very interesting microcosm of something much larger. What does this story tell us about... um, the larger question long-term dealing with climate change? Well, I think, I think we've seen from the summer, where, you know, we've had, we had the hottest uh, temperatures in history this summer, right? And so it's just going to get worse and worse. And I think, I think the larger question is who are, are going to be the winners and the losers as climate change worsens? And I think it's pretty clear from the research um, into projected mortality in poorer nations that the losers are going to be those People who live in rural areas, you know, without good electricity access or people who live in these slum areas, in these megacities around the world, again, without the healing balm of air conditioning at their disposal, the most vulnerable people, you know, who, who aren't going to have access to AC, who aren't, aren't going to be, leave, you know, living in these leafy streets with plenty of shade and wide boulevards so the air currents can fall, they are really going to need help. Annie Gowan, thank you so much. Uh, That's a fascinating story, and we'll, we'll look forward to reading more. Thank you for having me. Annie Gowan is the Midwest correspondent for the Post National Desk. She spoke with my colleague Jeff Edgers. Thanks to Anant Gupta for contributing to the report. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Peter Bresnan. It was edited by Rena Flores. It was mixed by Sean Carter. Have a great weekend. And remember, if you love the show, help other people discover it by leaving a rating on Spotify or a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Our team includes Maggie Penman, Rena Flores, Ted Muldoon, Martine Powers, Elahe Azadi, Monica Campbell, Robin Amer, Eliza Dennis, Elana Gordon, Ariel Plotnik, Bishop Sand, Arjun Singh, 
Jordan Marie Smith, Renée Svernovsky, Sabi Robinson, Emma Talkoff, Sean Carter, and Renita Jablonski. Our intern is Trinity Webster Bass. I'm Ava Patrai. We'll be back Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. <laughs>